Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. And in today's episode, we are talking about developing a healthy relationship with your body and with food and the ways in which this can show up when we become parents through pregnancy, postpartum, parenting, and beyond. On the podcast, I invited my friend, Crystal Cargis. Crystal is a maternal child health specialist and food and body image coach for moms. She's also a lactation consultant. She is passionate about helping mothers and parents ditch diet culture, heal their relationships with food and their bodies, and raise intuitive eaters so they can enjoy freedom with food as a family. I am so excited to share her and her story and her wisdom with all of you. Crystal shares on the podcast her own history of having an eating disorder, how she healed from that experience, and this became the muse for the work that she does today. I'm so grateful to her. Can't wait to share this episode with all of you. So I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to dive into our topic today with you. Thank you so much. How are you doing? And uh, can you share a little bit with us about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me, Dr. Cassidy. It's truly an honor. And we're doing okay. We're hanging in there. We are (laughs) surviving, you know, virtual school from home and we are starting to see some lights at the end of the tunnel. So it's been okay. Yes. But we have five kiddos uh, between the ages of three and 10. So it's been a lot as I know it has been for most parents and caregivers this year and families in particular. But yeah, thank you for asking. I'm so excited to be here and to dive into our conversation. Oh my gosh, you have five. Like that, oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, the, the, this past year, like you said, has been a lot for a lot of us. Um, it's, uh, we're recording this in March of 2021. So it's been almost exactly a year since, we shut down here in the United States um, due to COVID. And yeah, I can only imagine how you are navigating five kids between three and 10 with e-learning, distance learning, and, you know, continuing to try to take care of yourself and show up for others. And oh my gosh, it's, I can only imagine. Yeah, it's been challenging. I know you're going through the same too. And I think it just helps to remember, you know, we're not alone because this time has felt so isolating and just being able to connect with other, you know, moms and parents and kind of commiserate. It's, it's helpful just to know, like we're getting through this as best we can and just to give ourselves so much grace through the process. Yeah. Well, I met you on Instagram and it's interesting that Instagram has been a space this past year where in many ways it's been a place for me to see and feel how I'm not alone. And at the same time, obviously it's such a double-edged sword. It can also be a space that can be really painful. Um, and I think can contribute to some of the challenges and pain points that I know we're going to be touching on today. So before we dive into all of that, can you share with us and the listeners a little bit about your background and the work that you do? I would love to. Thank you for asking. So I am a registered dietitian and lactation consultant, and I specialize in maternal child health. And it's interesting. I kind of landed into the field of nutrition via my own history and journey. And I actually struggled with a pretty severe eating disorder in my late teens and early 20s. And 
just finding recovery through that really inspired, I guess, my career choice. I didn't really know what I wanted to do and finding healing and being able to have the opportunity to kind of renegotiate my own relationship with food and my body landed me in that area. But it wasn't really until I started having my own children that my career trajectory changed entirely. And, you know, it's amazing how much we learn from our own children. And I think being in that space as a new mom and trying to navigate, you know, career and motherhood and all the transitions that that brings really opened my eyes to, I think the lack of support that we have as new parents and new families. And, you know, I also did struggle with postpartum depression after my first three children. And, you know, sadly, I just, I didn't know. I had no idea that that's what I was struggling with. I just thought I was failing at motherhood. And it wasn't until after my third baby that I was able to actually kind of pinpoint what was happening through health professionals and able to connect to the help and support that I needed. And, you know, again, like my healing journey, I think through that really shaped the trajectory of where I wanted to go in my career and just realizing like, this is such a needed space for so many mothers in particular. And, and that's what I'm passionate about doing now is just coming alongside moms and holding space for them in these transition points in their life, whether it's pregnancy or postpartum or just navigating how to feed your kids when you're in the trenches of Mm -hmm. eating and, you know, just being able to help them find more harmony in their home um, through a more kind of peaceful relationship with food and their bodies. And so, yeah, that's a little bit in a nutshell. And I appreciate you asking. Mm, My goodness. Like there's, And I can say from following you on Instagram and then knowing you now personally, um, the, what the words you just use to describe your approach, a peaceful relationship with food, it is exactly what you offer, um, and what you are inviting, um, parents and women into this space. Um, and I just can definitely attest to that. And so I'm for sure going to share a link to, um, your social media account and the resources you offer in the show notes for anyone who after listening to this conversation is just like ready to soak up more from you. Um, So you had shared that um, your experience with an eating disorder after healing from that, your experience became sort of your, your muse, right. Mm -hmm. For doing the work that you do. And that doesn't, I mean, I want to first say, cause I oftentimes say this about my own experience with postpartum that it became the muse. And I just want to say quickly that for anyone who's listening and is going through um, a painful experience that does not need to become a muse for anything, right? Like it, your experience right. gets to just be your experience and, and, and that you deserve healing without then needing to do something with it. You get to move forward in your journey and your story. Um, I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes people hear these stories and how we transform these, these experiences into something um, bigger and it doesn't always have to be that right. It can just be healing. But what I want to, what I want to explore with you is, you know, I I've worked with a lot of clients, um, women who have had histories of an eating disorder and then they get pregnant and maybe they've, um, done a lot of healing around their relationship with food and from their eating, from that experience with having, um, a, you know, a painful relationship with food and eating, and then they become pregnant and they they begin to see their bodies change. They begin to have, for some clients, sort of like, a, it's, it can be very triggering um, yes. for them, the way that, you know, being weighed at the visits, seeing their body change, feeling like they don't have um, control over the ways in which their body is changing. I'd love to hear from you, maybe some of your own experience um, and what you see with the women that you work with and the individuals that you work with. Yes. Thank you for asking. This is such an important topic because I don't think we address it enough and generally, and again, I know there's many exceptions to this, but generally our westernized approach to prenatal care is very weight centric where 
we do hyper-focus on a woman's body and her weight and how it's changing in the course of her pregnancy. And yes, for someone who may have been struggling with this, and even, you know, if you've had a couple years or you feel pretty solid in where you're at, I think being in a pregnancy makes you be so much more aware of your body. And if you have, you know, struggled with an eating disorder or, you know, even have just been on the dieting bandwagon, you know, where you're constantly looking for something to help you figure out, like, how do I eat? What do I eat? You know, that, that disconnects you from your body. And I say that with so much compassion because I know I've lived through it too, but if you've been living outside of your body and now you're pregnant, I think it almost forces you to become so much more attuned with what's happening. And for so many women that can feel very triggering and that can be a difficult place to live in your own body. And it's hard. And, you know, I know for a lot of women, experiences like this might not necessarily come up, but I think again, like you're your weight is being checked and monitored so much more often and the topic of conversation. And, you know, I I think in general, culturally, pregnancy gives people a, you know, they think they have a free pass to just comment on your body or touch your body, which feels very invasive. And so, yes, it can be very triggering for so many reasons on top of, you know, your appetite may be changing and you, may not feel like you can eat the things that you previously did before pregnancy and, or, you know, you might be so much more aware of things like hunger or you're dealing with nausea and morning sickness and, you know, nothing sounds appetizing. And so it is a very tumultuous time around food and body. And I think it can also be a very beautiful celebration too. I always love how you use the term beautiful, like the cross (laughs) between, you know, something that feels kind of brutal and intense, but also very beautiful. And I think that's a perfect word that encompasses what we might experience as women through pregnancy and postpartum when it comes to our body and how it's changing. Um, But, you know, just acknowledging how triggering it can be and Mm -hmm. holding space for women that are finding pregnancy to be a really challenging time. And I think sometimes that doesn't match up with the narrative that we hear that pregnancy is supposed to be like, like, you know, just this amazing experience and I'm glowing. And, you know, a lot of women don't feel that. And I think at the start, at the onset of motherhood or the transition into motherhood can already feel like, okay, this is not going the way that I thought it was supposed to go. But just to hold space and say, you know, it's okay if your experience is not like that. And I think Mm -hmm. just being aware of it and verbalizing it so that it's not something that you're struggling with alone is so important. Mm, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the term uh, brutal, brutal and beautiful combined is some, a term that I adopted from Glennon Doyle Merton, who writes in her own books about her experience with um, an eating disorder and, you know, and she's, she talks about brutal in the context of parenting as well. And so yes. I think it's just a, a beautiful, um, uh, way of languaging and experience of both and right. Yes. That these things can coexist in so many ways. Absolutely. Gosh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So we're identifying here for anyone who's listening that if you are feeling triggered by pregnancy or you experienced that, in a variety of nuanced ways. There's so many ways that that can show up for each individual, but that is something that is real. And then you have your baby um, and, you know, there's a very high percentage of women that can experience really intense, sometimes traumatic births or feeling really disconnected from their body during birth for one reason or another, um, or, And then postpartum, you know, taking a look in the mirror and not recognizing your body. You're also navigating becoming a food source. And then six weeks goes by and your doctor clears you for exercise, you know, (laughs) and then the messaging of, um, you know, just the messaging around getting your body back. um, Mm -hmm. And, oh my gosh, I just, I think about every um, new parent who's going through this and just have so much, like, I just want to hug them and scoop them up right? Yes. Um, and just like tell them like, 
oh, you, you actually have a post. I'm like looking at it right now. And <laughs> on the top, it says how to get your body back after baby. And it's just like, you know, people do the different graphics, like little tiny graphics. And on each one, it literally just says your body never left. Bodies change to grow and birth new life. You don't need to shrink your body to be worthy. Yeah. Oof. I remember reading it and I saved it like immediately. Mm. Can you talk about this? How can we – I hear my dog. He's pawing at the door. Oh. So after I ask this question, I'm going to go let him in and put him on my lap. Yeah. Um, this, this, is, this, is how we, this is how we work now. <laughs> yes. Coming in a sec. But can you explore this for us? Like how, this, how can we take – how can we take ourselves out? Like, how can we take back our lives from the sort of these messages from diet culture that postpartum parents are just, oh my gosh, inundated with these messages? Yes. I mean, this is the million dollar question. It's, it is, it permeates everything and it's so invasive and postpartum because I feel like it just preys on, you know, parents' vulnerabilities. And like you said, it's, I think body changes are so much more celebrated and normalized in pregnancy. But as soon as you have that baby, it's like, okay, your body is no longer okay as it is. And we just need to normalize the fact that bodies change. Our bodies are meant to change. And there's this idea that diet culture kind of holds as a widespread accepted fact that you know, we are worthy and valuable if we shrink ourselves and if we lose weight and, you know, kind of return ourselves to a pre-pregnancy version, which is impossible if you think about everything that our bodies have gone through. And it doesn't just end after we have our babies, you know, it's this lifelong journey of our body changing and getting to know our body. And, You know, in saying that, I don't want to minimize the discomfort that it feels like to be in a body that has changed so drastically. Like you're saying, I think sometimes we just feel like a shell of ourselves when we've had our baby and, you know, that there's so much visible evidence of how our bodies changed. And I think this can be so much more intensified if you have experienced trauma, you know, around your birth or postpartum. Sometimes you, your body just feels broken and it's not your fault, you know? And, and I think diet culture gives us this elusive, you know, message that if we just change our bodies, then everything will be okay. Mm. And it's, it's not true, you know? And I, and unfortunately it's so easy to get sucked into this trap. And I've sat across so many women and new moms who are, unnecessarily pushing themselves or punishing themselves for something that was never broken to begin with. And Mm -hmm. it takes away from the sacredness of what postpartum should be. And it should be a season of healing and, and rest and recovery in all aspects of our life. And I think, unfortunately, diet culture can rob that, you know, take that away from us and, and make it about losing weight, counting calories, you know, and, and I've, I've talked to, to moms who felt like they had to breastfeed because they thought that was the only way they were going to lose weight, even though like mentally it was just such a strain on them, you know, mm. or moms who prematurely were trying to exercise and work out because they got the clearance, but you know, they, their body hasn't healed yet or their C-section scar was opening or, or, you know, just so much pressure to, to engage in things that are not beneficial for our mental, emotional, or physical well-being. And that's where I think we have to step back and recognize that it's, it's, it's easy to fall into that because of the vulnerabilities that we're going through, but to realize that there's so much more for you and, and you don't have to let those messages take away from the sacredness of your transition into motherhood or, you know, from, from experiencing the joys and being present for, you know, everything that you're, that you have in your life. It's, it's a hard balance because again, we're so saturated with these messages and Mm -hmm. it's everywhere. It's all over media. It's, you know, (laughs) It's hard to run away from, but I just yeah, want it's like the air we breathe in. Yes. I mean, it's, 
all yeah. around us. And yeah, I, I also have experience with so many clients and, you know, I can relate to this myself in that when clients come in, you know, and they're ready to start doing some of the work and identifying and naming this, you know, really challenging, painful relationship that they have with their bodies or with food, with eating, they'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, I'm a parent now. And like all of a sudden I realize that the way that I eat, my relationship with food, the way I talk about my body, the way I view my body, like I would never want my daughter or my son to talk about their body in these ways or to have this like challenging relationship with food. And so I need to do my own work, right. Um, in order to be able to support them in this and model, model this to them, because they're going to also be living in the same world where these messages are just saturated. And it's like the air we breathe and we don't, we don't even realize we're breathing it in, but it's there. And of course, you know, what we want is for someone to embark on this journey and do some of this healing um, for themselves because they are worthy just because they are, right? right? But a lot of times becoming a parent, I have found, can open this door for someone who may have struggled to walk through the door of doing the work before, but now they're like, oh, you know, like now there's other little, there's little humans around me and I find myself feeling triggered by food still or the way that I'm like my relationship with my body. I'm still really struggling with this and I want to be able to do better so that I could help my kids. And you know what, whatever opens that door for us, let's walk through it. And then we can get to the place of like honoring that you are worthy of, of this work, even yeah. without have, being a parent and having children, right. To support. Um, but I'm curious to hear how do we do this? Like, what are some ways that we can be? And I know that one podcast episode is never going to fully address something that is so personal and so nuanced, right? Um, and and this and can be really such deep work for an individual. But I'd love to hear a little bit from you about how we can start to do this, sharing with us your perspective on how healing our own relationship with food and our body is one of the best gifts that we can offer our children and ourselves and how do we how do we start to do this hey there dr cassidy popping in with a quick message for those of you who are expecting or you're already postpartum and you're resonating with some of the themes of this episode if you are expecting in our prepared postpartum course we have a whole lesson all about body image it's under the same module where we discuss vaginal birth recovery belly birth recovery and processing your birth if you are postpartum, you're already in the thick of it. We have a lesson in our Flourish in the First Year course too, all about body image. As you've been discussing in this episode, there is no shortage of messages that expecting and post-parents are going to receive about their bodies. We are here to support you in developing a healthy relationship with your body through this experience of becoming a parent that will support you now and moving forward. And bonus, my guest in this episode, Crystal, in the Prepared Postpartum course, actually offers some really nourishing recipes as part of our postpartum healing guide in that course. So if you want to learn more about either Prepared Postpartum or Flourish in the first year, check out the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the episode. I love this question and I love how you're you know, also saying that you're worthy of healing regardless, but you're absolutely right. I think that becoming a parent is such a big life transition that it does make us so much more aware of ourselves and the things that we've gone through and the struggles that we still have. And, you know, we, we want to do better for our own children. And that's such a beautiful place to be in. And I, especially with the people that I work with, I just try to first you know, create space for you to understand that you don't have to have it perfect. You don't have to have it all right or all together or be perfectly healed to do it right for your kids. And I think that one way of looking at things can make it harder for us, right? If we hold ourselves to such impossible standards. And that's part of the beauty about being a parent is that we're both 
a teacher and a student, you know, and we learn from our kids. And I think having that perspective of staying curious and open to what's coming up for us, what's triggering us and, you know, leaning into it versus like shrinking back and, and shaming yourself or feeling like, Oh, I should have this all together because it is a lifelong journey for so many people. And I think doing the work is first just being open to realizing that, you know, it's, it's never going to look perfect and that's okay. And Mm -hmm. our children are so amazing and resilient. And I think, I just think about my own children and how healing it was for me to just watch them eat (laughs) first. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I had been so far removed from what normal eating looked like that even though I had done so much work in my own recovery, it was almost surprising to me, you know, to like start feeding my own children and to watch them eat and to watch them, you know, be excited about food and trying different things and be so attuned to their bodies was such a healing. And it still is such a healing experience and reminder for me that our kids are already so close to their programming that we're all born with, right? This innate Mm -hmm. ability to, to have, you know, a positive outlook with food. And it's not so much on us as parents about what we need to teach them, but more about how we can trust them with, you know, their abilities that they're already born with. And, and, and truly, I I do think in some regards, you know, that we can't take our kids to a place that we haven't gone ourselves. And so I, I think that's why it is important to get curious about what's coming up for us around food, because sometimes unintentionally we can project our own experiences and beliefs and thoughts and feelings that we've had in the past around food in our bodies in different experiences that we have with our kids. Um, And so, again, it is a beautiful gift that we can give our our kids. But I think what they need more from us is just our own openness and awareness and just recognizing how powerful awareness is in itself to change the trajectory. You know, for so many uh, parents and moms that I've worked with really – these tendencies towards diet culture or feeling stuck in a poor negative relationship around food and their bodies is something that has cycled through through family for generations. And that's really common, you know, because like you mentioned earlier, it's like the air we breathe. It's, it's what, what has become normalized in our society. And so if you're breaking away and you're trying to do different and heal, just recognize your own awareness in that alone is so powerful in creating this ripple effect that will be felt for generations to come after you. Mm. My goodness. So much there that I love to just like spend hours unpacking. <laughs> but one, one, I was, I, what I want to do is, is just share a recent experience. And so, um, our, my, I have a seven month old and mm. we were, um, the other day we were all enjoying some ice cream and my partner who has himself really has a, a challenging, has a relationship with sugar where he has always sort of seen himself as like not being able to control his, himself when it comes to sugar. And so that's played out in different ways, um, with, with parenting as it does. Right. And yes. so <laughs> we were all enjoying ice cream and <laughs> he, he, he gives our, our seven month old is starting to explore food and he mm. gives her a spoonful. <laughs> and it was like one of those moments where like so much could so much try to jump in and like suck out the joy of this moment of seeing yes. her first experience with ice cream. Mm. And the first was like, Oh my gosh, she's a baby. Like you can't give her ice cream. Like this is, well, first I'm like, wait, she can have yogurt. So I guess the dairy's okay. But like the sugar, <laughs> we're start, like, how, how are we starting? We're, we're going to start off on this like sugar kick, yeah. you know, all the, the language that shows up. Like, right. like we can't, you're, you're going to start bad habits now. Like, mm-hmm. and I didn't say anything, but this is all just like the flood of like instant thoughts that my brain gave me, you know? Um, and then on top of that, it was like dripping off her chin and like she it's getting so messy and mess is like a sensory trigger for me. Like it's just, um, it's, it's something that sometimes pulls me out of really enjoying watching her just f- 
experience food for the first time because mm. <laughs> just like there's why are there so many crevices in high chairs you know like it's just like, <laughs> it's everywhere so <laughs> um but all so all these like instant thoughts and then like you but then it's like wait wait hold on like because the kids are just like the older kids are so like enthralled with the fact that he just gave the baby a spoon full of ice cream and they're like their eyes get big and they're just like <laughs> laughing because she like just to see her smacking her lips together and to see her like grab the spoon from his hand and like shove it in her mouth and like we were all laughing and it was this like beautiful moment around sugar consumption right like it was but but it's obviously so much more than that but what what my brain initially was consumed by was sugar consumption and mess and it just like it was it 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 triggered all these little parts of me and my own sort of relationship around sugar and the messages I've 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 just been bombarded with and um and then stuff around control which which in anxiety which all relates Mm -hmm. to the need for things to not be messy um for me and all this stuff just around this one little moment that I could have totally missed out on because Mm -hmm. it was actually a really cool moment to see a little human experience ice cream for the first time you know and to see the older kids just like enjoy it and to have this moment together but gosh, so powerful. all of the thoughts that my brain like popped yes. that popped in as it does really could have stolen some joy oh <laughs> from gosh. this moment. Yes. And you bring up such a good point too that, you know, I think as parents, we judge our own worthiness based on you know, are we adhering to the rules, right? Like, are we living up to all these expectations and food with our children is such a big area where there's so much black and white thinking when in reality, food is so nuanced for so many families and people and cultures and backgrounds. And, you know, it doesn't have to be rigid at all. And if your baby, you know, like I just thinking about the rules that are out there, like you shouldn't expose your kids to sugar before two. And like, that's just impossible. <laughs> Especially right. It's like, kids. wait, who are, who are these people that yes. are, that their children are living on some like secluded like little <laughs> Island where they're not exposed to sugar right. before two? Like, come on. Right. I mean, cause the reality is like we live in a world where sugar exists and it's so much more important to teach your children, you know, how to have those opportunities and to learn how to self-regulate sugar versus it being something that's demonized and off limits. And, you know, like it, it has the potential to suck out the joy that should be part of food and should be part of experiencing food together as a family. And, you know, it's so hard though, because I think we measure our worthiness according to those standards, right? Like, uh, am I doing okay as a parent? And, and we look to these external rules when more it's about, are we living in alignment with our values and what we hold true for ourselves and what we want to experience as a family and food rules and rigidity around food don't have to be part of that equation. Mm. Right. And a lot of times what is, I mean, there, there can be a lot of factors into why we might um, try to want to restrict certain foods with our children. Right. Um, and one of them might be our own stuff, right. As we mentioned and the messages that we've received and these sort of unrealistic like standards. And, and then I think at the core, there's also a parent who wants the best for their child. They want their child to thrive, to be healthy, to have a body that functions really well, right? And to feel good and to have energy and to get good sleep and to be able to focus and to be strong. And I think that, and resilient, and I think that at the core, that's what we want for our kids. Um, But I think that then all of these uh, messages, expectations, um, historical factors, our own relationship with food kind of comes in and sort of almost warps that into, into something that actually can perpetuate a more challenging relationship with food, right? And can kind of really get in the way of um, connecting with our kids and supporting them in developing the, that, that really healthy 
well, wise, you know, relationship with food and with their bodies. Um, And so, you know, I'll even notice for myself when I see, you know, we go and we get some, 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 we were eating dessert and, um, or drinking a milkshake or something. And, um, gosh, my, my kids can really down an in and out milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) And I like for myself, um, I, I actually don't, dairy does not sit with me well and mm-hmm. I don't love milk. And so I, I, I see them like downing it and I'm just like, oh, it like brings up like just even the word milk, right? If we even take yeah. the word milk or sugar, like your our brains immediately come up with stories around it and make neural connections. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes up even with a word, right? So milkshake, I immediately think about like, getting a stomach ache when I drink too much milk and throwing up when I've had too much milk and like, Oh, all this stuff comes up. Yeah. So I see my kids downing a milkshake. (laughs) So it's milk. It's got, it's got the sugar component, right? Which I obviously received a lot of messages around that. And they usually like, it's usually the first thing I'll hand to them if we go to in and out. So now they're downing this milkshake before they even get to the burger. (laughs) And I like, I'll find myself wanting to take it away from them. And, and then sometimes I'll find myself saying to them instead, like, um, you know what? Just listen to your body. Like your body will let you know when when it's time to move on to the next part of the meal. Mm-hmm. But like it's so hard for me to feel like I can trust that within them, right? Oh, that they're yes. going to listen to their body. So gosh, what what would what would you say to a mom like me, Crystal, who has <laughs> my own stuff when it comes to a couple of ingredients of this one thing yes. and is wanting like like, and then I, I'm questioning, like, gosh, is even me saying something like getting in the way? Like, I'm intervening and I shouldn't. Like, there's just so many like questions around this. And so, for just a mom like me who's like, hey, Crystal, what do I do in these moments, right? Where I find myself wanting to like take it away or say, like, wait till after you eat the quote unquote healthy food, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, while also dealing with all my own internal dialogue, like yes. what, what, what do I do in that moment with my kids? <laughs> oh, it's a lot. It's so much. And I think again, like just even pausing to hold space for yourself and recognize, wow, this is bringing up so much for me. And just to recognize, first of all, that you're not alone. These types of moments are very challenging. And I think it's important that we normalize that as parents, that these situations are not things that we necessarily anticipate when we're pregnant, right? And I think mm-hmm. being in the thick of it can be very challenging. But like you said, we're we're bringing our own experiences and you know our own thoughts and feelings, and then we're also dealing with the judgments of the outside world, which can be so harsh, especially when it comes to kids and sugar. I mean, sugar is so mm-hmm. highly demonized in our society, and it feels like you're just on this uphill battle, you know, how do I help my kids normalize this when the whole world is telling them, no, it's bad, you're wrong. But I love what you did. And I think that is so powerful that you encourage them to listen to their bodies. And so often Mm -hmm. it helps us feel better in our own discomfort if we feel like we can execute some kind of control, right? Mm -hmm. Like saying, okay, you need to eat this much, or we need to like have it pan out in this order. Right. The reality is that those things, if we're trying to micromanage how or what our children are eating from the foods that we're offering them, that is like the prime breeding ground for power struggles at meals and around food, you Mm -hmm. know, because our kids are just going by their innate, what they're feeling in their body and what they're needing in their body. And sometimes we think, we know better. And in so many areas of parenting, we do, we, we do, (laughs) but we're not living in our children's bodies. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where we have to step back and recognize that, that the only people living in our children's body are our children. And this is where that kind of, you know, respect comes in, where we want to be respectful of their autonomy, especially around food, because our experiences are not necessarily our children's experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love how you said that, you know, you recognize for you, like a milkshake doesn't feel good in your body and it might not necessarily be that case, you know, for your children. Right. 
right? (laughs) So it's so easy for us to carry our own experiences and project that on our kids. And, And then what happens is that we pivot and maneuver and engage with them based on our experiences and not recognizing that, you know, they're probably learning it in a whole different way. And so we want to, we want to create space for them. And this is where I, I, I know it's really hard for parents. And honestly, this is one of the hardest things that I see parents struggling with is, you know, doing your job in providing food. But then once that food hits the table, it is now your, the ball is in your child's court. It's their responsibility to decide how much they want to eat and what they want to eat from the food that you've offered, even if it looks completely different from your own expectations. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's really just your child figuring out what feels best in their bodies. And, you know, sometimes our kids, they, they might overshoot, they might overdo it. They might get to a place where they do feel sick in their tummy. And I think, you know, instead of reprimanding or, or, you know, pointing the finger or anything like that, we just want to hold space for them too and, and be reflective. Um, it makes me think of a time where my son, who's almost five, um, we were making cupcakes and we had some at the table with some milk and he literally was just licking the frosting off the cupcakes. (laughs) Like he wasn't (laughs) eating the cupcake. He was just licking the frosting off. And I was like, and even for me, you know, who has done so much work around this and works with families around this, like I found those thoughts coming up, like, oh my gosh, he's going to get sick. You know, he's just like licking the frosting off. And, you know, it did, it took everything in me not to say anything and just maintain, you know, conversation. And we talk about everything but the food. And, and he did get to a point where he was like, mommy, my tummy does not feel good. And I was like, I'm Mm -hmm. so sorry, buddy. You know, what do you think you can do that will help it feel better? And he's like, I need to drink some water. And he just like drank water and he kind of sat on the couch for a little bit, but then he moved on and I've never, ever seen him do that again. But I just think, you know, sometimes we prematurely stop our kids from these powerful learning experiences because again, of our own discomfort around it. But I think if we're able to pause and give our kids space, that it can actually help them learn in a really powerful and meaningful way. Oh my gosh. This is so, so powerful. And I think it relates, Crystal, to also the sort of social emotional work that we do with our children too in supporting them in being able to self-regulate and understand their emotions. And and let me kind of explore with you why I think this is the case. So I'm thinking about my own sort of approach to parenting my kids when it comes to big emotions and their big feelings. And so, you know, um, for example, if my child is having a tough moment and you know, they have a lot of feelings that are spilling over. Um, I'm going to hold space for those feelings. And I'm going to um, maybe, uh, for instance, like the other day, my son was just really having a hard moment. And mm. he, and I, I asked him, I was like, buddy, it almost, it almost like, it looks like you almost want to like crawl out of your skin and you want to scream and like, oh, is that how it feels? Or is there a different feeling? And, and it was sort of my way of helping him go inward and see like, I'm feeling frustrated and like, where does that frustration live in my body? And like, Mm. what are some of the signs and signals that this is something I'm feeling? And now my mom is helping me identify like a name for it, right? Like, um, or he can come up with a name for for himself. And when he tells me how he's feeling and where he's feeling it, um, then one of the most powerful things I can say back to him is I believe you, like Mm. I believe you. And like, we will, sometimes we'll joke that like, I wish there was a button that I was like, Oh, I wish there was a button I could press. And then I could go like transport into your body and I could feel exactly where it feels. Mm. Cause then I'd really understand. And he's always like, yeah, you know, like he loves (laughs) that idea. Um, and he, he really, he really took that to heart because sometimes when he's getting frustrated and I'm not, you know, as present and patient, (laughs) he'll do that to me. It's a good reminder. He'd be like, mom, I wish you could push that button so you could feel what I'm feeling. And I'm like, it's a reminder to me like, oh yeah, buddy, like 
you're right. You know, um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not slowing down enough to see that you really just need to see that I believe you. Because the thing is, is if I show him that I believe him in his feelings, that like all his feelings are okay. Right. Like, and I can support him in learning how to regulate those feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can hold space for them. Right. What he's going to learn from that is like that internal gauge of being able to trust himself, right? Like I can trust myself. I can, um, my feelings aren't too much for me. They aren't too much for people around me. Like they're, they just are my feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to support him in learning how to regulate those big feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. And not to regulate to shut down, but to regulate to understand and to have compassion and move forward and to learn. And with all of that work that I'm doing, like that we are doing with each other, my hope is that he's learning to trust himself, right? That like mm-hmm. he can listen to that that part of him and that he also can remain in the driver's seat, right? And like yes. make make thoughtful choices based on some of the data that his emotions are giving him. That's the long-term goal. So that maybe one day if he's in a situation where he doesn't feel comfortable or feels like that, that's something, you know, this isn't the right space for me, that he can trust that part of himself. He has that inner Mm. trust that he can believe himself because he was believed, right? And the same thing can go for food. But it's interesting that like that, I think the same concept can apply here, right? Where it's like you are learning to be able to trust yourself, right? Mm. Rather than feeling like you need people around you to set those boundaries for you, right? Like if I'm going to say, Hey, you need to go on a timeout because one that also signals like I can't handle your big feelings Mm -hmm. and you need to just go sit in a room and like figure it out. Um, and that's also saying like, I, I don't trust you to stay here, right? right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I trust myself to sit with the feelings. I don't know if I trust you, but if I can sit with you and you can learn to trust yourself and to feel like that you are believed, that you can believe yourself and your feelings. But I think the same thing can translate into our relationship with food and that sort of inner wisdom, right? Of and that innate yes. ability to know and to trust without someone else needing to tell me what it is that I need to do to set a boundary, right? Around food or whatnot, like what the diet book is going to say or yes. um, what, what, what was my parent, but is now that sort of like distrust of myself, um, that disembodiment, that, um, that I no longer can trust that intuition. Does yes. that make sense? Oh my gosh, this is such a powerful parallel. And I'm so glad that you said that and made that connection because I think this is where we have heard those messages, right? As kids that we couldn't trust ourselves, whether it was with our feelings or with food or with how our body, you know, ended up being like, we can't, we, we pick up these messages that we can't trust ourselves. And it's so easy to carry that into our parent-child relationship where we feel like, you know, and going back to food, right? Like, I don't know if I can trust my child, but recognizing again, this piece of trusting and giving them space to learn how to be in their body, whatever that is. And no matter how different it is from our expectations of of what we think that should be, Mm. is so powerful. It's so powerful. We want our children to learn that they can become the best expert of themselves, of their feelings, of their emotions, of their bodies. It's all encompassing. And, Mm. and really that is such a powerful analogy, but it's also, you know, again, one of the most, I think, I think it's one of the most, the greatest gift that we can give our children because, you know, we're, we're holding space for them to be who they are and not Mm. try to mold them into something that they're not. And I think giving them that extension of understanding and compassion allows them to do that for themselves. Mm. Oh my gosh, so powerful. And I just hope that anybody who's listening here as we're kind of wrapping up, and if any of this resonates with you and you feel connected to this and you're like, gosh, I'm ready, I need to, I'm ready to to do this work because I'm worth it, even if I'm just getting I'm still getting there to believe that, but also um also for my children and and for my relationship with them on on so many different levels and mm-hmm. a lot of times yeah this you know like you said 
Um, we can't take our kids places we haven't been ourselves. And so doing that work um, is something that we and you are so worthy of receiving um, and having space held for you to kind of go into the corners, right, That of your own experiences as it relates to your relationship with your body and relationship with food so that you can support your kids too as they walk through a world where, yeah, they're going to be inundated with those messages because yeah. we don't live on that little secluded island where there's no, no sugar until age <laughs> two, right? Like, come on. Right. Oh, goodness. So, Crystal, where can people find you and um, your work and everything that you offer, all your resources? Um, and then whatever you share, I'll be sure to include in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you so much for asking, Dr. Cassidy. And I just want to quickly add to what you had just said is, yeah. you know, if you're in, if you're resonating with this and you want to start, just to recognize that you don't have to wait until you get to a certain place in your own mm-hmm. journey until you you can start the work. You can start the work anywhere, anytime. And it's about taking those baby steps and you don't have to have it all together. I think sometimes that's something that holds us back as parents is that we feel like I need to get to this place before I can, you know, start doing this for myself. But, you know, you can, you can start anytime. Um, Mm. So I just wanted to add that. that Yep. 100%. And just to answer your question, um, I blog regularly on my website, which is just crystalcargus.com. And so I have tons of posts on there all about feeding kids and kids and sugar and picky eating and also postpartum and pregnancy. So there's tons of different topics on there. Um, And I'm also on Instagram at crystalcargus where I share some of these insights Um, And then also I do lead a free virtual support group for mothers or moms-to-be who are recovering from an eating disorder or just needing more support around food and body image. I mean, this, this can be such a challenging time. And so we have a beautiful community of women and we get together once a month virtually and explore some of these challenges. And it's just a great space. It's a really safe space to talk about some of these things. So, um, it's completely free and, you know, there's no obligation to come every Mm. single month or whatever you can come and go as you want. So yeah, that's another resource as well. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I hope that if someone's listening right now and they're ready to just take one step that maybe, maybe that would be one step, right. And just sort of being in a space with you and with others so that you know that you're not alone. Cause I think that that shame space, right. There's something wrong with me and only me. Um, and this is just a me issue and uh, gosh, I can't let anyone see this part of me. Right. Can, Oh, just keep us, um, in that space of pain, um, for so long, right? That's what shame does. So thank you, Crystal. I'll be sure to include links to all of this in the show notes. And um, I'm just so grateful to know you, to be connected with you and for you taking the time to have this conversation with me today, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Cassidy. It's been such an honor and I so appreciate you and the work that you do for our community. So thank you to you and your listeners. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OB-JOYN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.